This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Craig with a special announcement. We've got a special recording coming up on Friday, July 14th. We're going to be celebrating our 600th episode, talking about Percy Jackson, the Lightning Thief. Usually we do live streams with some of our Patreon supporters, but to celebrate this milestone, we'd love all of you to join us. Please go to bit.ly slash overdue 600 and you can join us for this special recording on, again, Friday evening, July 14th, 8.15 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, bit.ly slash overdue 600. Hope to see you there, and thanks for listening for as long as however long you've been listening. Enjoy this week's episode, everybody. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we have given you power over us mm-hmm. just now by, by telling saying our you names, our right? true names. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I, you don't know that I told them my true name. Did you tell you've been telling them your true name this whole time? <laughs> they have such power over us, Andrew. We must have been telling them our true names mm-hmm. this over nigh 600 episodes maybe you are but (laughs) i don't tell my true name to anybody yeah you'd like to think so Mm -hmm. it's like one of those things where like your human tongue couldn't pronounce it so i don't but you can call me andrew (laughs) sure sure so you're a dragon is what you're admitting to being a dragon is what you're telling me it's not just dragons like let's not be (laughs) that's i mean in the world of earthsea the in the book that i read it's not I'm called just, the I'm operating from like a collected amalgam of fantasy and sci-fi tropes, <laughs> but not a specific book. But that's the book that you read this week for our book podcast, where every week one of us reads a book and then tells the other person about it. I read A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. That yeah, okay, that's true. what I thought you said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I think you might not have heard the first part of my question. Oh, sure. Sure, okay. sure, sure. Um, okay. So I've read I've read this, but it was before the podcast even. So Oh sure. It might as well have not happened. <laughs> I remember very vaguely stuff about the magic system and like the name, just you know, knowing something's name and then you have power over it because you know its name, which is propped up in a bunch of other books we've read. And then bunch of post earthsy books we've read because this was written in like 1968 yeah um i remember the guy's name is ged uh-huh and that's all that's it that's all i remember i <laughs> even reading the synopses of the next two which i also read i'm like i don't remember any of this i'm <laughs> sure. sorry <laughs> i i feel like this trilogy unless you really spent a lot of time with them reading this book this okay first off right off the bat Remember the last time I read a book for the show and I had trouble? I just had a lot of trouble with the book I read. Was it the cockroach book? Because it bugged me so much. <laughs> this is a cockroach book? This book 
the one I read for this episode, this one you're listening to right now, this book whiffs. <laughs> this yeah, book is okay. great. It doesn't have any bugs trying to do any, nope. get up to any funny business. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> and uh, it whips. And I there's a lot of it that I think I will remember and would remember if I, you know, no matter when I had read it. But I could foresee having a re like a an experience with the series that is similar to the Wrinkle in Time series, where like the yes. first mm-hmm. book is like really memorable, and then maybe some other stuff happens. People love this trilogy. I'm not, you know, I I haven't even read the other books, but I could see sure. the 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 second two kind of maybe alighting as she expands the world or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because this was originally written as a standalone book is my right. understanding yeah because she had so we've talked about Le Guin before i think you said you have the episodes yeah. to hand that we talked about her in episode 159 we did a double feature of some right. short stories and we mm-hmm. we talked about her story the ones who walk away from omelas and then episode 282 you had read her novel the dispossessed which is like a sci-fi I think it's like an anarchical society or something, like an anarchical (laughs) utopia. There's no government. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And this is like, this was her first foray into fantasy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she had, um, we'll just briefly cover some things about her bio relevant to this, this book. She was born in 1929, died in 2018, the same, same year as like a big collected volume of, all the Earthsea stuff came oh, out okay. at once. So you mentioned it being a trilogy. For a long time, it was a trilogy because um, first three, Wizard of Earthsea, uh, came out in 68. Then The Tombs of Atuan came out in 1971. And then The Farthest Shore came out in 1972. And then 18 years later, she comes out with uh, Tehanu, which is a fourth book. Okay. Um, and then The Other Wind is the fifth one, comes out in 2001. And then there are nine different short stories published like intermittently between 1964 and 2018. So the, the book that came out in 2018 collects all of that together into one honking volume. So, so, yeah, it's my understanding that there were, there were two short stories in 1964 that she published that kind of lay the groundwork for this novel. Yeah, because she was wise. She was writing for a long time before she found any kind of success. Like she got yep. a lot of rejection from publishers through the 1950s. Um she finally had a poem published in 59 and then a short story published in 1961. Um and she's, you know, writing and publishing these short a few short stories in like the early to mid 60s didn't really get her any kind of critical recognition or fame, though they are notable for helping to establish the Orsinia, Hainish, and Earthsea universes. Yeah, so she's did doing the, some early world building here. Did the Hainish stuff come first before this? Is that right? What are um, those? The, so the poem was uh, Orsinia. Okay. Um, and then I think that the book was Hainish. I think, I do think Hainish like predates this by a little bit. Sure. Yes. Um, though the most, uh, noteworthy book in that series, which is the left hand hand of darkness Darkness, is a year after this novel. Yeah. So, so she's publishing in relative obscurity for a while. Then Earthsea comes out in 68, left hand of darkness comes out in 69. Boom. That's a book about, um, a race of people who don't have like a fixed sex. So it was very Mm. like subversive. uh, Yep. Yep. Um, and, uh, that book made her the first woman to win the Hugo and Nebula awards. I believe she won a couple of other 
nebulas going forward for other books. Uh, But yeah, after, after those two were published, people started paying a lot more attention to her work. And so, (laughs) yeah, I'm not surprised that she planned it as one book, but then it became one of the most successful things (laughs) that she ever wrote. And then she did a couple more. And the story (laughs) that I, that she tells it in the afterword of the edition that I read is that her publisher came to her and was like, Hey, can you write a book like for young adults for Mm -hmm. older kids Mm -hmm. and you know the publishing world was cottoning on to the idea that there is this market of readers that you could like delineate books for this whole i mean it's it's the history of many industries but especially if you're talking about sci-fi and fantasy fiction like there's this huge ongoing effort to convince publishers over the course of many decades that anybody other than straight white men wants to buy and read fantasy and science fiction books. And she, so she is, I read a piece, um, in the guardian from 2018, I think must've been part of the same, like big 40th or yeah, because she she passed in 2018 and she, yeah, yeah, she did the all the 50th anniversary stuff. Um, she has said that uh, the Earthsea books, at least the first three, are, quote, a total complete bust as feminist literature. <laughs> uh, true. Um, true. <laughs> uh, there's a long tour piece by Gabrielle Bellet about how Earthsea, like, features a, like, a brown-skinned protagonist and yep. and white-skinned uh, antagonists. Yep. And, but it doesn't it doesn't call attention to it. It nope. just like is that way. And yep. it is on that level, a subversive book. And then the tour piece goes on to say, so, you know, that's subversive, but in every other way, <laughs> this book is, you know, a lot like other fantasy of the time because it centers a, a man and he, <laughs> well, so the, and the he one... goes and, and he goes and he does adventure stuff. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about um, how I think the, like the quest he goes on is sort of subversive relative to what you think you might think of fantasy in that kind of like we're entering the era where Tolkien is turning like people are turning Tolkien into D and D. You know, that's where we yeah. are in the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. Um the like the themes of the quest he goes on and the type of the the structure of the society I think is kind of interesting and a little subversive. The big thing for her thinking about it as different from previous books is that prior to this novel, well, I guess uh, probably other people wrote books, who knows, whatever. But <laughs> she's like, listen, all the wizards in the books are like just riffs on Merlin. They're just mm-hmm. old, like old bearded, bearded authority Gandalf's. white guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a book about a little boy who becomes a teenager, who becomes a young man. And, he has to learn how to deal with his power and how to move through the world such that like things that happen to him and like what he does and learns and the fact that he even gets scars on his face and he goes to a wizard school, like people rightly pointed out that there's a lot of proto Harry Potter going on in this book. Yeah. Gaiman, Neil Gaiman said, of her and of this book. I don't think Harry Potter could have existed without Earthsea. That was the original, the finest and best. I think there's a quote from Le Guin where she's like, I think Rowling could have been better about citing her 
her uh, ancestors. <laughs> she, there's a lot of things she could have done better. And she, I mean, and a lot of things she be could continue to be doing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just be a person that is better. Um, um, yeah. She and so yeah. There's a lot in this Guardian piece from her about. Um, about how the she felt she herself felt like quote a woman pretending to think like a man oh sure um, and she says I had to rethink my entire approach to writing fiction it was important to think about privilege and power and domination in terms of gender which was something science fiction and fantasy had not done all I changed is the point of view all of a sudden we're seeing Earthsea from the point of view of the powerless so that's about the fourth book sure sure um, uh. Tehanu and part of the reason she has, has said why it took 18 years to write that book is she tried to write a story about a female wizard and she just like didn't have it in <laughs> she says from my own cultural upbringing I couldn't go down deep and come up with a woman wizard like it was just a lot of like the the some of the same stuff you're talking about about wizards being like these male sort of authority figures even though yep. she's subverting that a little bit she's yep. still I mean, in in Ged, we are following somebody who could well like grow up to be one of those bearded authority Very much figures, so. and I think in later books maybe he does a little bit. And it's you know um, it's set in an archipelago, and it's kind of this interesting seafaring pre-industrial society, like Chronocross. <laughs> it is well, it's, it's a lot in, like Chronocross. It's it isn't not a lot like Chronocross, except it doesn't. There are parts of it that don't feel tropical. It feels northern Atlantic to me, sure. and that okay. could that could be me misreading it a little bit. But that speaks, I think, to the point of like there are people who read this book and maybe kind of while she does mention skin color, she is not like really diving into racial dynamics in any mm-hmm. you know in an allegorical way or, or anything like that. So. Uh, you might just skip over that. Or maybe yeah. you might be reading an edition of the book that has a white get on the cover, which may or may not have ever happened. Yeah, that did. That totally happened. Um, <laughs> there's a uh, there's a illustration. Uh, she says the book's original cover features an illustration Ruth by Robbins? Ruth Robbins. Yeah. Yes, in which he, he is, quote... Um, Faintly resembling a figure from either a medieval painting or art deco has a soft copper brown complexion. Yes, uh, sure. Le Guin says that's the book's one true cover <laughs> because it didn't, it wasn't a white ged. But yes. yeah, I think I, I've got to imagine, I mean, just like with like Brew and other stuff in the, like in the Hunger Games yeah, books. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you do it so subtly. I like a lot of white people probably do just cast a white guy as ged in their, in their brains and yeah don't either kind of allied over it or like don't really engage with it when they see those like subtle hints about what he actually looks like. Yep. 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 Um, and, and just the like ecology of the zone in the, of the archipelago to me felt kind of like, I don't know, again, I could be wrong, but it felt kind of Northern European and, and not out of step with the Tolkien type verse but right. it is yes. this where every, watery every place. fantasy world is like england eight thousand years ago <laughs> it just part of it is just that ged starts as like he's a goat herder and the the way that the whenever you are on land the way that it is described gave me very northern european vibes but there are also like cool places there's like the 90 isles which is like this whole section where 
people don't even bother building bridges. Every family just has their own tiny boats, and like all the <laughs> all the islands are so small, and all the waterways are correspondingly kind of just function as roads. Mm-hmm. It's really neat. Some of the seafaring stuff is is really neat, mm-hmm. um, but it did it didn't read to me as like oh now we're in you know an equivalent of the Caribbean or the South Pacific or something sure. like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I found that this book was awarded both the Boston Globe Horn Book Award in 1969, and then in 1979, I don't think we ever talked about this award, I've never heard about it before, Andrew, the Lewis Carroll Shelf Award. Okay. It was given out... I don't think out, I have heard of that one. <laughs> it was given out by the University of Wisconsin-Madison from 1958 to 1979. She was part of the last class of this book given out. And basically, whoever at this university was like, the, we think these several books each year would belong on a shelf next to Alice in Wonderland because of how good and weird they are or something. <laughs> so she's in the last class of, like, they named seven books. That how includes, many books total do they have on this shelf? It's a long shelf. They were like, the, the first class had, like, 20 books <laughs> Wow. Okay. But the last class had Lyle Lyle Crocodile, <laughs> A Wizard of Earthsea, The Chocolate War, Dragon Wings, one of my favorite Christmas books, The Snowman. Uh, oh, is that the one where the snowman kidnaps that child? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever watched that animated special? Oh, I've watched the animated yes. special a lot. It's... I watch that almost every year. Uh, the Road from Home and The Island of the Grass King. So, like, I hadn't heard of the other two, but, like, Lila Crocodile and the Snowman Island, and Wizard Island of Earth Sea. Island of the Grass King sounds pretty chill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, eating a carrot and smoking a cigarette. Is that what that noise was? Jazz cigarette. That's what I was doing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this it's an interesting book. I can see a, interesting to put it in a, a place where it's, like, it's what – it's pushing against convention, and yet even Le Guin's like, yeah, but I did use a bunch of convention to Yeah, me. did I give you the quote that I found? She said, it's mm. conventional enough not to frighten reviewers, which hey. we, can, we can take that as kind Get of that a money. <laughs> jumping off point for how uh, conventional it is and isn't as we discuss yeah, it. that seems good. Well, let's yeah. take a quick break, and then we can talk about this rad seafaring book. All right. The Lewis Carroll Shelf Award. <laughs> we should start a shelf award. <laughs> like some somebody got really high and thought about like, what if we just gave award based on it? it was on a big shelf? Yeah. And also like, <laughs> kind of just inventing library. Like famously, yeah. b- books have like a lot of different classification <laughs> systems already that determine <laughs> what books go next to other books on a shelf. Yeah. So okay, I like I like it. I like the cut of its jib. I am a little mystified by it, but I don't also they gave it, it to Ertzy like ten years after it came. Like it's not just for new releases. Yeah, I mean that's like us. Yeah, that's like our true. podcast. It is. We are building one six hundred bookshelf. Yes. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Andrew, have you ever felt uncertain about where you're going next in life? Like what you're going to do? 
over the horizon or what to, you know you're facing a big decision which path you're going to take yeah i mean i don't even need to get to the horizon i'm uncertain about decisions that are like un- not actively underfoot yeah. as we speak like it's <laughs> i w- i was thinking about this i changed jobs last year it was like a whole big thing and i I'd gotten to the point where I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next, and it was kind of making it hard to consider any new opportunities. And those are situations where, like, talking through a big decision with someone can help you shed light on what's holding you back uh, or give you a sense of what your values are, and those can be kind of waypoints to navigate around. Uh, And I think therapy is a great tool for getting into that practice because, like, once you make a big decision like that, it becomes easier to make other ones. Uh, If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be on your schedule. You just fill out a little questionnaire, and they match you with a licensed therapist. And if you like, you can switch at any time. No cost. Andrew, I'm calling you to action. Okay. Call me. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Overdue. Andrew, I forgot to mention before the break, uh, this book, A Wizard of Earthsea, is one of our um, long, like, long-standing Patreon wrecks. Oh, boy. That we still owed. Um, so getting, I just wanted... We're, getting, we're slowly getting down we're to We're almost done, yeah. We're, almost, know, we're almost, oh, almost done? What are we going to do when we're done? I don't know. All right. We're going we to make recommendations to ourselves should, that we, we have should, to do. Yeah, we should think of something cool to do. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, so this not is... On, not on the show, just like you and me personally. And nobody <laughs> else needs to know about it. <laughs> um, this was a recommendation from Asante, who literally... <laughs> Just said, hey, could you discuss a Wizard of Earthsea? That was the message. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised we haven't hit it. I mean, when did that must have come in like relatively late in the thing? Because yeah. I, I can't imagine us not like jumping on this sooner otherwise. Like, I think we would have gotten around to this anyway because we've read I a think... ton of fantasy. Like, I read this and liked it, but have forgotten most of it. Um, yeah. I, I think we might have done it earlier if we hadn't hit the dispossessed where we did in our in our run. Mm-hmm. But there are other authors that we've come back to, and I'm glad that we are back with Le Guin today. Um, yeah, this book is pretty cool. I like the archipelago thing uh, that I talked about earlier. She says that she started drawing the map of the place before she even started writing the story. Yes, she did. That's how you do it. That's so how you she- do D&D. That's how you do <laughs> You just got to have that map at the beginning of the book before you even do anything. And it's like, so well, like how, what do these people on this island think of the people on this island? The story possibilities are endless. She knew about the magic system, maybe at just kind of a superficial level. And she knew that she was going to have this guy sailing around the archipelago. So she figured that out. What I like about the overall like tone and structure is... It feels like a place with history, mm-hmm. but she does not do the like the the when Tolkien's at his worst to tell you all the backstory okay. when he's like taking a little too much time or people who or trying to pull off Tolkien who you know tell you way too much about the place without actually having any action take place without having anything happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, she just kind of assumes that you know the world that you're in which and is it's nice. not it's not like a thing either where get is like a stranger in a strange land and there's but maybe there's like some strange land in this but he probably doesn't start out from a place of it being a strange land 
No, what's kind of nice is that like so in I think it's the Hardic people is like the gen- the general term for people in the Earthsea archipelago who know about magic who you know maybe they're not most of them are not wizards themselves but mm-hmm. they all understand this like true name concept there's kind of a ritual of adulthood that involves you know getting your true name and then you go through the rest of your life really only telling like super important people mm-hmm. <laughs> what it is or else if they knew magic they could do stuff to you mm-hmm. um and he hasn't been to most of these places in the archipelago when the book starts, but like mm-hmm. he knows of them. Sure. Um, like know, I know about like Nebraska, but I've never been to Nebraska. Yeah, sure. Exactly. <laughs> I've heard that the West Coast is a thing, mm-hmm. but I've it never is a thing. Been I've there. been there. I've been there. I've never some of it. There. Some of it's better than others. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so like in the west of the archipelago there are dragons in the east there are the Kargish people those are the uh, kind of the white skinned barbarians the viking types I got viking yeah. vibes when I was yes. reading about mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. Um, Hardic people are kind of in the center and I guess in the north uh, to the south there's apparently a whole society of people who just have like raft cities we don't mm-hmm. ever visit them, mm-hmm. but they're they're not in this novel. But they're yeah, out. But there. it's cool. To, it's just cool to think about them existing out there on their floaties. Yeah. Uh huh. And Ged is from the north. He's from the island of Gaunt. Gaunt. Uh, Gaunt. <laughs> and the book opens with this kind of like, "Hey, listener, reader, let us tell you about this great guy named the Sparrowhawk. Mm-hmm. He's a great wizard who's done lots of cool stuff. Let's tell you about." When he was a boy. Mm-hmm. And then, like, we do the, it's a big epic myth, and yet the rest of the book is kind of nice and slight. Um, sure. Which is a, an interesting change of pace. Mm-hmm. So, you Slight, know, like, like tonally slight in, like, the the amount or type of stuff that happens. Like, slight how? A little, um, I guess, kind of, uh, the, like, mythopoetic in its... Um, simplicity like he's not running into giant societies that we then need to unpack the politics of Mm -hmm. and the stakes of the world and the adventure are both very individual to our hero ged Mm -hmm. and they have implications for the world and Earthsea, but there's never this like and now we've unmasked the true evil that is trying to suck magic out of the... I, it is my understanding that in book three, apparently, there's like an ebbing of magic that they mm-hmm. have to fix. I dimly recall, yes. But in this one, the the quest that he goes on is to like resolve a bad spell that he did that caused an evil thing to come into existence. Mm-hmm. He knows he needs to stop it because only he can. Because he because it's his mess and he's got cleaned yes, up. Yes, exactly. And it does have implications for like other things that could go bad because he is this very powerful wizard boy. But it's not, you know, him running from kingdom to kingdom, and there's no like big fantastical battle. There's you know there's no armies chasing each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the stakes 
personally to him feel very big, mm-hmm. but you're, you know, there isn't the like, and here's the big bad that is actually trying to cause an apocalypse. And yeah, like, is the, use... like how bad? How bad are, is the thing? Is the thing that he did? Like, are, are we talking about like maybe it'd kill a person, or like maybe it would blot out the sun? Like from sure. the, from those two ends of like evil. What are we talking about? <laughs> kind of. Um, hmm. It's it's not quite gonna blot out the sun. So. After an initial chapter where we meet him, learn that as a boy, he had some magic ability and saved his village from some invaders by using a bunch of cool mist. Mm-hmm. Um, this wizard named Ojian uh, is like, hey, come with me. Be my apprentice. You're a wizard, uh, Ged. Well, he doesn't have the name Ged. There's like a whole ceremony. He gives him the name Ged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ged tries to cast this summoning spell to impress a girl and he summons like this creepy little shadow, mm-hmm. and Ojian's like, "Go, be gone, shadow." <laughs> uh, and he's like, "Ged, why'd you do that?" And he's like, "Oh, I this is a girl, and I'm kind of impatient about how you're not teaching me enough magic yet." And he's like, "Go to the wizard school if you want that, mm-hmm. or you can stay with me." So he goes mm-hmm. to the wizard school. I'll revisit some of the wizard school stuff in a second, but that whole chapter comes to a head where the his rival at the school, Jasper. Mm-hmm. Who is you know Ged and Jasper? Yes, Jasper's gonna go steal a bunch of Dalmatians for <laughs> Cruella Deville in a minute. He's got you know hoity-toity. I'm a rich boy energy, and he's like, who's this goat herd who everybody says is so good at magic? Mm-hmm. And at this big festival, he says to Ged, like, hey, you know, wh- why don't you prove you're so good actually? And gets like, mm-hmm. yeah, we could duel if you want. And sure. Jasper's like, oh, yeah, I, uh, uh. <laughs> well, I mean, and, I didn't think you were going to take me up on it. <laughs> and what's interesting about Je- uh, Ged in that moment is he's become friends with this big guy named Vetch, who's cool. Vetch, but I mean, the names. Yeah. Well, and at this point, everybody only calls Ged Sparrowhawk because they don't know his true name, mm-hmm. um, except Ojian. And like Vetch and Jasper are not their true names. Sure. Um, so everybody's got like chosen names, which I also kind of just like about the world. Is you not only do you have your true name, but you have to like you Come get up to with choose a cool nickname for yourself. Yeah, with, yeah, with your handle as you mm-hmm. move through. Ur- you log on to Earthsea every day. <laughs> um, and Vetch is like, "Yo, get like Sparrowhawk. Don't let this guy like you know convince you to do something bad. Like don't let d- like don't give in to him." And the pride that Ged has. And the kind of chip on his shoulder about Jasper is what causes him to like lean into this duel. Mm-hmm. And Jasper's like, well, why don't you do like a summoning spell? You can't even do a summoning spell. And he's <laughs> like, oh, who do you want me to summon? A lady from like legend and myth who existed a thousand years ago? And Jasper's like, I don't know, man. What are you talking about? Yeah, why did we go right there? Like, <laughs> And Ged like opens a cool portal and everybody sees this like interesting lady. And then kind of my brain went to... I don't know if it's a movie that you've seen many times, Andrew, but it's every experiment gone wrong scene. The salient one for me is the Doc Ock scene in Spider-Man 2. Sure. Where he's like, you know, raw power, controlling the universe, and then it, you know, kills his wife and the Uh whole room collapses. Uh So in this little portal he opens, this little black shadow monster crawls out of it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have a face. It's just like a little shadow bear 
gremlin. Mm-hmm. It attacks Ged, is like clawing his face and like throwing magic at Vetch. And then the Archmage of the entire wizard school gives his life basically to just make the shadow go away. Huh. Not even to destroy it or defeat it, but just, just to like, like make it stop attacking people right at be- that exact moment. And the the reason that this is that like he couldn't kill it or make it do anything is because nobody knows what its name is. It doesn't have a name. Nobody's seen this before. Because it's just a weird little shadow bear. That came out of Ged's magic. Mm-hmm. So all the, the new Archmage and other, you know, teachers that work with Ged over the next few months while he's recovering, because now he's got these scars, he's kind of broken and scared to use his magic. Um, they're like, listen, this thing is like, you did it. <laughs> you have to do something about it mm-hmm. and it's out there in the world waiting for you and it probably wants to get you and are people i'm are people upset about the archmage being dead or yeah. is that okay cool they're not happy about it they kind of come around on ged and they know that you know he he certainly atones for it sure um, and Jasper is a, a punk. Like he just pieces out, and we later learn that he never passed his final wizard exam and just like <laughs> left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Vetch, when he's graduating, gives Ged this like kind of like real great friendship moment. Where first he's like, "Hey, if you ever come out to the Eastern Reach, you know, I live on this island. Look me up." It's like when you're graduating mm-hmm. from college, and someone's right. like, "You know, if you're ever in New York City, right? Come, you know, you can sleep on my couch, mm-hmm. kind of thing." I've done that. I've all, uh, of all those interactions that I've had with people where I'm like, yeah, if you're in town, let's hang out. I've followed through on it like one time. And one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Susanna and I met some like other Kenyan people for drinks in the city one time and it was fun. But I, I've had once or twice it like someone crashes on my couch. I don't know if I've ever used it to stay somewhere. No, I think usually there's a an understanding that you're just being nice and like <laughs> the, the expectation is that you will not darken this person's doorstep at some point in the future. But like, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. You know they didn't have Airbnb and Earthsea. So, you know, maybe Airbnb. Yeah, that's it. Um, but before Earth, Earthbnc, there no, it is. Yes, there it is. <laughs> okay. Before Vetch leaves, he tells Ged his true name. And he like kind of gives Ged the gift of like, listen, we are friends. I trust you. I trust you and your magic. And so Ged kind of recovers the little bit of, you know, the part of himself that had been shattered by like doing this magic mess up. Right. Sure. Um, so the stakes of the world based on this like spell that he cast, right, is he unleashed this like nefarious little evil creature. Um, it is it draws its power from hunting him. Mm-hmm. So over the course of the novel, it attacks him at least one or two more times. And at one point it like possesses some other guy's body and like kind of kills him to get closer to Ged. Okay. Ged is worried that if it gets to him, it will possess him and then he can use all of Ged's power to do whatever it wants. Mm-hmm. And there's no, like, there's maybe one reference in all of the wizard books to something like this happening ever, and it doesn't really provide any answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the main thing that the wizards are concerned about is that this is going to throw, stuff like this can throw magic out of equilibrium. Okay. 
And that is the big, like, overarching thing that this whole, like, magic philosophy in this book operates around. It's kind of Taoist, I think. You know how in the in Star Wars they're like we got to bring balance to the Force, uh-huh. but that actually just means killing the Kill bad every guy, evil person. Yeah, this actually is like what if you brought balance to the Force? <laughs> sure, okay. There's one of the teachers at the school says to Ged like, why? I think it's the guy who's like the master changer, who's in charge of like transformation spells and stuff. Okay. It's not that he's not like a guy who exchanges your money for I don't like your dollars <laughs> for euros. No, you... I don't think okay. so. Um, he says to Ged, you must not change one thing, one pebble, one grain of sand until you know what good and evil will follow on that act. Mm-hmm. The world is in balance in equilibrium. A wizard's power of changing and of summoning can shake the balance of the world. It is dangerous, that power. It is most perilous. It must follow knowledge and serve need. To light a candle is to cast a shadow. That specific image is brought up multiple times sure. in the book. So anything you do, there's going to be a repercussion. Um, I also like the and serve need thing because there's this whole thing in this book. And so what Ged ends up doing is he gets to this post at the 90 Isles where he has to be their like resident wizard. Mm-hmm. And part of what you do is like you do healing spells. Like he winds up not keeping this guy's son from dying because the kid was like his soul was like going to the next place and so mm-hmm. ged would have really messed things up if he tried to bring him back but yeah right because um, casting a shadow and all. all all that kind of stuff yeah um but i like that you just kind of get posted up somewhere and you're like okay well they need some better crops and you could get put on a boat and you do your mage win to make the boat go good mm-hmm and you're like a community servant in a way because there are only so many wizards. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just like that is another form of equilibrium, right? Is like if there is need in the world, wizards are there to like help it and sure. like kind of there. There isn't a wizard in this book. Uh, uh, Jasper's the closest that is like a big fat jerk who does bad things. Like uh-huh. and Jasper doesn't even really do that. There's mm-hmm. not a like. Saruman in this book. Maybe mm-hmm. there are in later books, but not in this one. Okay. Um, All the jerks are on the other side of some portal somewhere, <laughs> it sounds like. Probably, that's probably true. Uh, the section when he is posted in the Ninety Isles is kind of cool. There's a dragon. I guess dragons are sort of... They're not evil, yeah, Are we talking like say. sit on a pile of gold dragons or... Some of them, yes. Or like uh, Aragon kind of dragons where... <laughs> No, they are a pastiche of different. (laughs) They are like kind of Smaug esque. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't always function that way, but they can do magic. Okay. Also, they speak in like the old tongue or whatever it's called, where like the language, the old languages, the true languages. Skyrim junk. Yes. That you use. But what's cool is like. Men cast a lot of spells in the true language, which was like all the true names are in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like to to use magic on a bird, right? You have to know the true name of of that type of bird. Of that type of bird, you don't have to know the true name of each individual bird. No, I don't think so. Okay, which is a bit of a interesting natural hierarchy. But yeah, I guess anyway. it's just like a. a 
the the dividing line is like sentience or something. Yeah, I wonder I think where some sort like, of higher how sentience, big a yeah. thing it can be controlled individually versus controlled collectively. Because yeah. obviously you can't control all of humanity that way. But. No, you cannot. Okay. Um, but you can. So like dragons have their own individual true names for the most part. But like there might be levels of magic you can do just by knowing what a thing is. So mm-hmm. like. The scene where he's fighting these dra- okay, there's these there's this big old dragon that he's gonna talk to and he, uh-huh. and he's gonna like you know he winds up actually knowing randomly the the old dragon's true name and like kind of makes him promise to never attack people and like he finds this cool solution. But first he has to kill like four of that dragon's kids Ooh. and he like takes a boat out into the water, which is like dragons won't be in the water so they can't use magic there mm-hmm. and he's just like sniping these dragons he's one-shotting these dragons like out of the sky by just does it casting make the dragon like... mad he does okay. but the, but the dragon is tricksy so the dragon is like you know trying to the dragon has uh he knows about the shadow creature somehow mm-hmm. and he's like oh, i can tell you its name and Gets like, no, he's lying. He's not. Because mm-hmm. dragons can lie in the old language. Men cannot. Oh, um, wow. okay. And so, the but like, you know, the, the old dragon was not super invested in his kids. Okay. But. It just sounds like dragons could totally kick everybody's butt and take over the whole world if they wanted. They seem like they kind of know everything. They seem, but like they are greedy and materialistic. Mm-hmm. So they get really like invested in this like hoarding and whatnot. not a lot of probably not a lot of collective action among no dragons. Yeah. no 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 no. Um, so the dragon the dragon thing is cool and the reason he goes out and fights the dragon rather than just kind of live out his life as this servant wizard in the ninety isles is he's like that shadow creature's gonna come for me, and if it comes here it could cause harm to this village and it would kill me and they wouldn't have a wizard so I gotta kill this dragon or I gotta deal with this dragon. And then I can leave and go on my quest. Mm-hmm. Um, so he do- he does that. Um, but then then like the back half of the book is him kind of wind wakering around Earthsea, <laughs> just sailing from island to island, having adventures big and small on the quest to you know, either first run from and then later confront the shadow. Mm -hmm. He runs from the shadow to one place where there's a rock in a dungeon that is like an evil old power that is manipulating these people who live in the castle. And uh, he ultimately has to flee there because this like evil old power wants to manipulate him. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's gonna get him. So he turns into a bird and flies away. Nice. Flies flies to Ojian. How do you turn? Do you if you know that? How do you how do you get the turn into a bird power? Well, like, you, what you know yourself, so you can transform uh, yourself. Okay, all right. But his, there's like the way it's phrased is like his need to escape became that of like the what causes a bird to go real fast. Like it became one with the bird. So he got to Ojian's house, and Ojian turned him back into a dude. But then he couldn't like talk. He was just a bird, but a dude for like three days until he he anamorphed himself mm-hmm. for a few. What's like what's the, the anamorph turns into a hawk and then never comes back? Tobias. I, I didn't read a lot of anamorphs, so yeah. I'm not sure. I was more, I was a goosebumps kid as we yeah, I know. Established yes, fair enough. Times. Yes. 
Um, and Ojayan's like, listen, dude, the shadow's only going to get stronger if you keep running away from it. You got to go confront it. It's the whole theme of confronting a darkness in yourself that you are responsible for. That is what the whole book is about. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on a few more boat adventures, ultimately hooks up with Vetch. Vetch is like, I will come with you even if I can't really help you because someone needs to know what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they kind of go to like the end of reality off like there's like a part of the far east sea where like the water's just not water anymore it's just like a surface you can walk on it's not just like they they don't have maps of out there and so they assume it's nothing it's they actually go out there and there is nothing it's sort it's it's some sort of non-normal zone i don't really you know it's kind of dreamy okay it's when the video game developer puts up an invisible barrier because they haven't de- you, they haven't rendered the stuff that would be back there and you know clipped through the wall and then it's just something out there who knows yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. um and what i like is on the way there they get so far away from earth sea which is where all the wizards derive their magic from they derive it from the earth mm-hmm. that there are there are like animals they're like fish and birds just out there but they don't even know their true names. Ooh. Like, they don't have true names because they're so far away from the source of the magic that you can't do magic on, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Hmm. Uh, yeah, what happens if you forget your true name? And so you don't know it anymore, but you also can't, like, tell it to anybody. So you just kind of... That's a great question. I don't a, know. Live a magicless life. I guess. I, I guess it's probably a deal where the true name is so intrinsically a part of you that you can someone get it figure it out like yeah. there there are there are wizards he spends like a year in wizard school living in a tower with the master namer An ivory tower these yep. ivory tower wizards <laughs> lording it over the rest of us and like all that guy does is like go through books and cast like you know the equivalent of jstor spells to like find true names of things and like mm. write them down and whatever the make... magic interlibrary loan system yes. is. <laughs> yes. Cause you need to know things, true names if you're going to use magic on them. So it's like very useful to have all these things. And sometimes sure. those true names get lost and you got to refine them, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes to the like kind of nothing universe. And at that point has confronted the shadow creature, which he already confronted once. And like, kind of put a spell on it that they would, you know, find each other again. Mm-hmm. Um, and he realizes in that moment, and I, I've probably said it in such a way that it is clear to you and clear to listeners that, like, mm-hmm. the shadow is a part of him in a, in mm-hmm. a very real way. Mm-hmm. I don't dark, think that... Dark Link? Kind of, yeah. I don't think that Ged had, for, like, really internalized that until after the bird and the Ojayan scene. Yeah, I mean that that makes it make more sense in retrospect that only Ged can do something about it because it's like part of him. Yes, cuz the yeah. whole thing is like, well the shadow doesn't have a true name. What am I I can't use magic on it. What am I supposed to do? And he realizes that if it's part of himself, he just uses his name on it. Sure. And they like fuse back together. Mm-hmm. And he like takes it into himself. How does it is described by Vetch, who's like on the boat watching it happen? Okay. Um, 
Ged had neither lost nor won, but naming the shadow of his death with his own name had made himself whole, a man who, knowing his whole true self, cannot be used or possessed by any power other than himself, mm-hmm. and whose life, therefore, is lived for life's sake and never in the service of ruin or pain or hatred or the dark. Mm-hmm. And that's like the end of the book. Like, the end of the book is he is like he ate his shadow creature and you know reunites with his sense of self mm-hmm. but makes... it sounds like a very like personal to go back to the thing you yeah, said earlier yeah. about it being um what was the word that you used like breezy light whatever the word i don't, I don't remember it wasn't those but slight was a word S- i used in slight that light maybe th- yeah. i think that undersells the thematic weight of the book but it right 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 but i'm just yeah. it sounds mm-hmm. like it's a very like focused on him personally kind of story without having the fate of the world necessarily be in the balance in the background. I mean, it sounds like if, if he hadn't addressed the problem, maybe the fate of the world would eventually have become in the balance, but she found a way to make this fantasy quest structure Mm -hmm. map pretty cleanly to a coming of age story in terms of like, how you move from an impetuous teenager into somebody who has a stronger sense of maturity and self sure without it also being a there's a villain and we got you know i got to get my friends together to defeat the big bad guy mm-hmm. in a, it like vetch is his friend who just needs to, he, he needs to know what a friend is but they don't they don't do cool team up magic you know they don't there's not a big battle Mm-hmm. It's like he sort of hugs the evil into himself and sure. then, you know, that realizes how powerful he was by doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I just kind of really dug the scale of it. There's, <laughs> by being so focused on Ged, there is, for such a short book, he like scenes end with him passing out due to exertion or injury or other magic and then waking up having been cared for by someone in a bed like seven or eight times. (laughs) It happens a lot. I mean, it does just... Is the Wizard of Earthsea like a video game? Like, I think there's a lot of evidence for it. There's the the (laughs) end of the world where there's nothing rendered back there. Mm -hmm. There's whenever you like, like in Stardew Valley, when you pass out in the mines from overexertion. Wake up in your bed. like wakes you up and like they took some of your money out of your pocket, but they (laughs) did save your life. Yeah, it's true. It's got a map. It's got got a dragon. It's got got dragons in it. It it, it might. Did I play a video game instead of read a book? Hmm. Uh Uh-oh. Huh. I knew knew this would happen one This would happen at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there, there was one other thing I saw about the book is that like her sci-fi books can be about like how we change society and how societies change Mm -hmm. and like this certainly at the scale that this story is operating it's way more interested in like kind of figuring out how to live a quality status quo Mm -hmm. while still having internal change and growth but like the world of Earthsea is not there is not a like a, a depiction of change on a macro level mm-hmm. to the society or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is much more about maintaining equilibrium while you as a person grow and develop, which is an sure. interesting 
concept. It presumes yeah. that things are in good shape. From yeah, the things jump, are things right? are fine. There's not maybe uh, some evil dark lord who is sitting in a castle somewhere, yes. or maybe like outside of the the <laughs> outside of the world that exists and like planning something bad. Yeah, and while he and and the other thing that it might be is something that is like from the some the Sanderson books where like Ged is from a humble village as a goat herd, but it is not a book about you know except for like Jasper razzing him, it is not at a macro level interested in like class politics, sure. which I know she is interested in. Um, I think it's enough for her that. He is not a like highborn noble person. Mm-hmm. In the same way that like it's enough for her to say that they are, you know, dark skinned people rather than like deal with a book about racial politics right. or you know the fact that there is lit- li- the women in this book who cast magic are referred to as witches. Mm-hmm. They are just kind of village magic users who never aspire to anything greater than that. Yeah, or that comes from Le, Le Guin had said you know that's that's the role of women in these books i just had not who's conceived of anything more than that you know who's the elf is it galadriel who's the elf who like thirsts after the one ring who's what's the name of the not like thirsting after it but like is tested by it is that's what i meant yes is tested by like she kind of like has a flash of like she would do something bad or you Mm -hmm. know is tested by the power there's like there's a lady like that in the the castle with the evil rock in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's one little nugget that I really liked. And I don't know if it's in any other books. Probably is. Where the shadow makes his boat crash on a reef. And there's just this elderly Kargish couple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people who are marauders in other parts of the book. Right. And They're probably not the, all marauders. Well, the marauders giving giving everybody else a bad name. Yeah, and there's like no other people anywhere near these two old people, and they're I think they wind up being brother and sister. It's he's inferring a lot because he they don't speak the same language, and based on the vibe and like what he gathers from the artifacts they have in their little hut he's like these may be like exiled royals who were just like dropped here and have been here since they were children Mm -hmm. and they will never want to be around people again and that's their just their little story here Mm -hmm. i just was like that's cool and then we went and then we like didn't deal with that ever again it's like it's not put in the book as a you know, it's just flavor. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a, a thing that has to pay off later or anything, which is kind of neat. Sure. Um, yeah, that's that's the book. It's pretty good. Yeah, it does sound like it was maybe a little bit more fun to read than the than the Roach book. Yeah. Yeah. Not that, not that it would take, you know, <laughs> a lot. but <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we haven't dug into the magic system too much. Suffice to say, you know, with the true name thing, it... At times, it feels a little Lord of the Rings, like I'm shooting energy kind of stuff, mm-hmm. where it's like there isn't always a discrete spell being cast. It's just sure. like magic happens. Yeah. But I like that it is kind of, there are domains that are named. It's like illusion and changing and binding and summoning. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit where he describes how he makes boats work, where like he puts a bunch of pieces of wood against each other. And he kind of calls it a boat, 
mm-hmm. and then he casts a binding spell on it to make it act as a boat. Oh. So even if it has holes in it, it won't leak. Hmm. And then he casts an illusion spell. All, make the, the, all the parts of it are like, I don't know, man, I'm a boat. I don't I don't yeah, know how not to be a boat anymore. It's kind of like <laughs> kind of like um like Greek philosophy, like essence. Like it is essence of boat. So now mm-hmm. I will it will perform as boat. But it does have holes, so I will cast an illusion spell so I don't see the holes, because otherwise that would be disconcerting. Yes, sure. And I can cast magic on the wind to make the sail go in the way that I want. And mm-hmm. that's that's how he all magic on inanimate objects works. Mm-hmm. It's all about the concept of the thing, which is cool. Okay. Yeah, that's um, neat. Yeah. I, if folks have read the other books and can kind of shed light on what happens in the first trilogy and then if they have any opinions on like how Le Guin revisited the world with different perspectives I would love to hear about that please send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com figure out which ats you need to type you'll 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 get there you'll figure it out Um, tell us about Earthsea or a cool fancy video game you're playing on social media uh, whichever social media services still exist by the time you hear this podcast, we <sighs> use at Overdue Pod on as many of them as we care to. Um, we should probably figure out Instagram more because people do interact with us there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not on fire yeah. yet. Um, we can, our- uh, yeah, this is a, <laughs> we can have this conversation if you'd like later. <laughs> Just a lot of people were excited about our 600th episode, bit.ly slash overdue 600. We're talking about Percy Jackson. Join us on July 14th at 8.15 p.m. Eastern, bit.ly slash overdue 600. You do not need to be a patron to join us for this stream. So if you're listening to this episode in the few days before that, please tune in. We should do some of the stuff at the top of the episode sometimes. If we're just like talking sh- talking shop as part of the show, it never occurs to me until we're already at the end of the episode and it's too late to do anything about it. But I'm like, you know, maybe more people would hear it up there. Maybe by the here. time that people are listening to this episode, we will have recorded something that maybe. could go at the front. Maybe. It sounds maybe. like a lot of work. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It sounds like a lot of work. Uh, Our internet website, overduepodcast.com, is a place where you can find the schedule of books that you are going, that that we are reading, not that you are Mm -hmm. going to read. I mean, you're welcome to, but that's not, you didn't say you would, so you're not like obligated to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash overduepod. Uh, subscribe to the Patreon. You support us. You get us equipment. You uh, get access to our Discord server, to more bonus streams. Um, as we record this, it'll have been like a week and a half ago, but we recorded a stream about uh, Jim Davis's, you know, that wonderful orange cat they call Garfield. Mm-hmm. We recorded something about that, and people had that a lot of fun. That episode will be on the main feed on July 14th in the morning, but... Uh, if you want it now or you want to join us for future bonus apps, do what Andrew's talking about. Yeah, that's the deal. Next up is that Percy Jackson 600th episode. Thanks, everybody, for getting us there. Um, the rest of the month includes An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon and Sharp's Eagle by Bernard Cornwell. And then we'll have some Sand By Me on the main feed as well before the month's out. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening uh, this far back into the podcast. We hope that all of the... (laughs)
We hope that you don't mind us talking strategy. It's sometimes it's, sometimes we're busy. It's just the only chance you get to to, to chat about stuff. Uh, until we talk to you next time about uh, try to be happy. Bye. <laughs>